So far in Luke, we have seen angels announce the birth of children to come. And then we saw an old woman conceive a child and give birth, and her then mute husband burst forth in praise. And then in all that as well, a virgin <laughs> conceived a child, and then angels burst forth in praise. So now, this morning, we're going to see what, what comes of all of that. What comes after all of these angels and all of this excitement? So Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21 and read through verse 40. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Growing up, there's one day, well, one party, specific party, that my mom would throw each year that sticks out to me. It's kind of a highlight of growing up. At this celebration, there was plenty of delicious food. She always made, actually, well, food I mostly like. She also made clam chowder, which 
not my thing, especially as a kid. But there was other delicious food, or if you like clam chowder, there was delicious food. Hot drinks, special desserts, crooners playing through the speaker, laughter and joy. It was a celebration, or part of a larger one, but it's a celebration that I looked to, I looked forward to for months. It was our annual Christmas Eve party. Christmas Eve party. On Christmas Eve, my mom would have a big celebration for all of our family to come to. We would eat and celebrate Christmas all together. All day, I would be excited about the party, trying to help or really not, just trying to run in and see how much longer until the party started and snack some, snag some cookies. Every year, all this excitement, you wait for the sun to go down, the food to be cooked, and then you can see, we had a really long driveway and a tree line. You could see through the tree line the glow of headlights. The grandparents are here. This is everything. The party is starting. I don't have to sneak cookies anymore. Now we can actually eat. And the best part about this party is that it was Christmas Eve. It was Christmas Eve. We still had Christmas coming tomorrow. This party's great, but there's Christmas tomorrow. There was an excitement and a joy because my grandparents are here, which we didn't see all that often because we lived really far out. We can celebrate that evening, but we can also wait a little bit longer and celebrate even more again in the morning. This, I think, helps us understand our story in Luke today and apply it to our lives today. Here we have read of many people waiting. Either Luke tells us of their waiting, or we see it in their actions. But at the end of the story, we see that we're left hanging. We're left waiting as well. And even for us today, at the end of Luke's gospel, we are left waiting for many, all of these promises to come to fruition. This is a Christmas Eve party of sorts, an appetizer to the final Christmas celebration that's coming. And in the story, we see really a simple story, a very simple story. You have two parents that present their child, and you have two prophets that praise their salvation. That's it. Mary and Joseph go about doing exactly what Jewish parents were supposed to, just the routine and regular practice of Jewish parents. But then we see these two prophets Simeon and Anna, they see this seemingly ordinary act, but they respond with extraordinary praise. They're seeing something they have long waited to see. And all throughout this story, we see the salvation of the Lord was and is worth waiting for. The salvation of the Lord was for them and still is today for us worth waiting for. In the passage, there's three main scenes that we're going to kind of walk through. First, we see parents present, and then we'll look at Simeon sing, and then lastly, Anna announce. But in all of these scenes, as I said, what we see is people that are waiting. And when they see what they were waiting for, they realize it was always worth the wait. So let's start with Mary and Joseph in verses 21 to 24, and then we'll kind of talk about verse 39 as well. 
So we start the story with the, with the parents presenting Jesus in the temple. Now at this time in history, this is really just an ordinary thing. Genesis 17 required that all Hebrew baby boys were circumcised. So what happens to Jesus? He's circumcised, just like all the others. Then they go to Jerusalem to the temple to make a normal offering. We see in verse 22 that it was time for her purification, which means it's referring back to Leviticus 12. Israelite women, when they had children, were considered impure ritually within the temple. And so they had to offer a sacrifice after a certain period of time, about 40 days for boys. So Mary goes to the temple to offer the sacrifice that she and all other recent mothers offered. Not only did they go for Mary's purification, but they went to present Jesus in the temple. Again, every firstborn child went through this. This is because of the Exodus. In Exodus 13, the Lord says, you saw how I took the firstborn of Israel, and now I will take yours. They are holy to me. They will serve me to remember the Exodus. All firstborns were supposed to and likely did experience this. Now, As I said before I read the text, where are all the angels at? What's going on? If this is, to Luke's audience, a very normal and expected story, it's kind of a jolt from the last two chapters or chapter and a half. Why such a common story? There's two reasons. First, what Luke describes confirms that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Galatians 4.4. Jesus came to his people, and he truly identified with them. He felt the pain of circumcision. He received the mark of the covenant. He was presented to the Lord for service to the Lord. He was under the law. He obeyed the law five times. Luke notes this in this passage. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, verse 27, and verse 39. It's all over according to the word of the law or the word of the Lord. Jesus was under the law. He was truly a man and he fully obeyed the law, which means that he was the perfect sacrifice for his He fulfilled the law in every way, from his birth, and then throughout, we'll see how he fulfills it, how Israel doesn't, in passing the temptations. He fulfilled the law in every way because his people, and you and I, do not. But he can also sympathize with his people who know the burden of law. So being the perfect sacrifice and the Savior that can sympathize we see that Jesus is the Savior worth waiting for. But what Luke is describing also shows us that the law was a burden. Now, when I say the law was a burden, that doesn't mean I'm saying the law was bad, but I mean it was something they had to carry with them. They always had the law. It was a master over them, but it was a reminder. It was a mark of waiting Galatians 3 explains that the law was never a different promise from the promise given to Abraham, but it was a guardian to protect that promise or a 
tutor that points you to that promise, to remind you of that promise. It was a mark indicating the promise is coming, you're waiting. The law is a reminder that you are waiting for the promises to come. Waiting for the promises that the law points to, the freedom that the law protects you from, and the forgiveness for not keeping the law like you're supposed to. So Mary and Joseph, while they don't say they're waiting, they reveal they are because they're living under the law, waiting to be released from it. But when we look at them, what we see is something important for us fellow waiters, if you will. When they're waiting, they are faithfully obeying the word of the Lord. They are faithfully obeying the word of the Lord. How should we wait? Faithfully obeying the word of the Lord. Waiting does not mean throwing the law, and I'm not talking about the Old Testament law, but I mean the commands of Jesus aside. It doesn't mean going after and just sitting and not doing anything. It means faithfully, quietly, simply, humbly serving the Lord according to his word. The parents present Jesus as those who are waiting. And as they do, who do they run into? A fellow waiter, Simeon. Let's read about Simeon again, starting in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God. So in this this short introduction, or somewhat long, introduction of what Simeon, we see Simeon, and we see what he's like, and we see what he's looking for. Simeon is righteous and devout, kind of like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. Do we get the picture? God does not come for the proud, but the pious. Not the puffed up, but the faithful. And Simeon's righteousness and devotion are not simply just standalone traits that he has. Look at how Luke describes him. He was righteous and devout. devout. In what way? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. See how those two things are linked. His righteousness and devotion is linked to the fact that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is his hope. His hope, the consolation, just a beautiful word for comfort, the comfort, his hope that comfort was coming was what promoted, that pushed, that drove his righteousness and devotion. He knew that God had promised comfort to Israel. But this wasn't comfort that just comes with a little extra breathing room, maybe a stimulus check to make things a little bit easier to do and to live. This comfort was a final and eternal comfort, the rest that God had always promised. He told his people through the prophet Isaiah, comfort or consolation, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is ended. He goes on later in Isaiah 40, behold, the Lord God comes with might 
and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Here it is. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's the comfort that Simeon is looking to. And today is Simeon's day. He is going to see that comfort. Just like my waiting for grandparents to get to the Christmas Eve party was crushed by the joy of seeing the glow of the headlights come up the driveway, Simeon's been waiting to see this comfort, surrounded by the darkness of Rome and all things and sin, but he's about to see the light of the salvation of God. The Spirit directs him into the temple, and there he is, the light of the world, wrapped up in the arms of a young mother, waiting to be worshipped. Can you imagine Simeon's joy? Imagine how many times Simeon said he's not going to see death, or he's not going to die until he sees the salvation of the Lord or the Christ of the Lord. Imagine how many times Simeon went to the temple. How many, do you think he went every day? I imagine he probably went every single day looking to see this baby. How many babies did he see? And now he gets to see the salvation of the Lord. In verse 28, after he saw Jesus with his parents, he took Jesus in his arms and he blessed God saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He declares in his song, I can die now. Take me home, Lord. I've seen the comfort. I've seen it. I've seen your salvation. But did Simeon see the cross? Did he see Jesus die for your sins and rise on the third day and reign in heaven? He saw the face of Jesus. He saw a person. And he says, when I look in the face of Jesus, I see your salvation. Jesus is God's salvation. It's who he is. It's not simply something he gives. It is him. This is massively important for us to get. Simeon says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's holding the baby saying, it's this one. This is your salvation. It's not freedom from Rome. It's not a change in circumstances. It's not possessing the land. It's not rebuilding the temple. All the promises of God are found in Jesus. And that is a salvation worth waiting for. Because consider, consider waiting for a letter versus waiting for a person. Waiting for a letter is one thing. When it comes in the mail, there's still excitement, especially if you're my wife. She loves getting mail. Um, she gets really excited about mail. Um, so maybe some people excites more than others, but nonetheless, a letter's good. It comes, you get to open it and read it and hear about all the things that are happening. But there's still a distance between you and the person who wrote it. But when a person that you have not seen for a long time or that you've been waiting to see comes, they come up the driveway, they get out of the car, and you bolt and run to them, and you get to embrace them and be with them. 
God could have just sent a message saying, I made the sacrifice for you. Comfort's coming. Actually, here's some things to comfort you. It's all good. It's actually what essentially every other religion will say in some way, or you made the right sacrifice. Regardless, he's over there, you're down here. But instead, he sent his son to be our salvation and our comfort. Not to just give us comfort, but it is in him. Friends, salvation is a person, which means salvation is a relationship. Salvation is not knowing something, facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's something to know. It's not about knowing something, it's about knowing someone. It is a person. For Simeon, that was a salvation worth waiting for. And for us, friends, we're waiting for the same thing. Because on that day when he comes, it's not that we get to have heaven. It's not that we get to have the new creation. Those are great. But it's that we get to see the face of Jesus in which the fullness of God is. We get Jesus. He is our salvation worth waiting for. And so Simeon goes on to explain that salvation is a person worth waiting for, and it's a purpose worth waiting for. He says he, is a, it is a, he the salvation, is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to or of, the glory of your people Israel. The salvation of the Lord extends to all peoples. That's very different than it was before. Before, all peoples could come to the salvation in the temple, but now he is a light of revelation to the nations. It's radiating outward. It's going to reach all peoples. There is no barrier it cannot cross and no ethnic line it cannot cross. No barrier cannot break down. The coming of Jesus was God saying, this little area on the, on the eastern side of the Mediterranean is nice, but I want the whole thing. And in Jesus, the whole thing is mine. He's saying, I want, I came for all of my creation and my, all of my people from all over the globe. And in doing so, he's revealing the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel. Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, they receive this salvation, which in, is one way that the glory of Israel is seen, but even more so is that the greatest promise to all of Israel, the one final true seed of Abraham, is here. And that God used this people to bring about the salvation for all of the world. And that is glorious and worth looking at. So for Simeon, this was worth waiting for. Now, can you imagine the looks on Mary and Joseph's face? Right, so they've heard the angels say that, that this will be the child that will be on his father David's throne. And he will reign over Jacob, Israel, forever. Okay, so in their minds, Jesus is the king of Israel that's come, and he's going to reign here forever. And Simeon's like, yeah, don't forget that that king is the world's king. And he's your son. Their jaws are on the floor of the temple or the ground outside, wherever Simeon found it. They are in awe. That's why Luke says they marveled. They marveled. They are continually surprised at the extent and beauty 
of this salvation that the Lord has given. This one for them as well was worth waiting for. But Simeon's words are not finished, are they? The song is beautiful, wonderful, but he ends with a minor chord, if you will. Three notes that are a little unsettling. He says, starting in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So while this is an amazing salvation, Simeon's waited for it. Mary and Joseph are starting to understand, yeah, this is the one that we have waited for. We see that not everyone's waiting for this salvation. They want salvation, but they don't want the Lord's salvation. And so Jesus, we see in this prophecy, he will divide and he will expose. Jesus was appointed from the, for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Which, a side note, have you noticed he was appointed for this? This is the salvation that the Lord prepared. Our salvation is not an afterthought, friends. That's just something extra. It's not an afterthought. It's beautiful. But Jesus was appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Everyone we have seen in Israel has welcomed the Messiah, but that's about to change. Because the baby Jesus you can welcome, but the adult Jesus is going to confront you. In chapter 12, he's going to say, I came to give division. The angel said he came to give peace, with whom all whom God is pleased. That's important note. Pastor Dan showed us last week, he came to give peace to all who receive him by faith. But in so doing, he brings division between those who receive him by faith and those who do not. There will be division between those who will fall and those who will rise. But those who fall will not stumble because they don't get it. Which is important about Simeon's prophecy here. They will not fall because they don't get it. Jesus is also a sign that is opposed. The second note in Simeon's prophecy. The fallers will fall because they reject him. During his ministry, this is what leads to his crucifixion. And that's why I think Simeon then goes into talking to Mary directly and saying, a sword will pierce your heart. He's preparing her because Jesus is so opposed People reject him so much and hate him so much that they put him on a cross where his mother has to stand there and watch him die. And as the spear goes into his side, a, spear go, a sword goes into her heart. The point of Simeon's prophecy is that Jesus will divide and he will be opposed. To steal an illustration from another pastor, Simeon is explaining that Jesus is a magnet. Jesus is a magnet. Some are naturally drawn to him. They can't help it. They just go straight to him. But if you turn that magnet around, and it's the same poles, what happens? They don't go together very well anymore, do they? They repel away from one another. 
They're not attracted. They oppose one another. So maybe you have that friend or that family member that's not only indifferent, but repelling away from Jesus. You want to talk about church. You want to talk about what you believe. You want to ask them questions or what they believe. It's always like, yeah, that's good. So how's the weather? Or how's, how's your kids doing? It's always moving around that conversation. Or maybe you're that friend, and by the grace of God, you're here today. But every time we talk about Jesus, you feel a little uncomfortable, like you need to move. Either way, we see that there are those who are attracted to Jesus and those who are opposed to him, keeping their distance. But the point is that it exposes our hearts. He is a sign to be opposed to expose the hearts of man. All this dividing and sign opposition is so that when Jesus stands before us, he reveals whether I want God and his salvation or I want me and my sin. That's what Jesus does. He confronts us. And either we see our sin and we know that Jesus is better and we run to him, or we see our sin and we continue to believe it is better. So to you who have opposed Jesus, maybe you just don't see a need for him. Maybe he's fine, but, you know, not right now. He's not my thing. Well, with the division, there's no third category. It's a sword that cuts, not removing a block in the middle where you have three. There's not risers, fallers, and floaters. There's just risers and fallers. The Bible is abundantly clear that there are only two groups of people before Jesus. And it's abundantly clear that those who fall, they fall because they love their sin, and so they receive the judgment for their sin. But it's also clear that those who rise, rise only because Jesus took the punishment for their sin, and they receive him by faith. So friend, Jesus is here. He's right here in our text, and we just read last week, he is to give peace, not judgment, to those with whom he is pleased, which means those who receive him by faith, to receive the one who will give you peace. Now church, this applies to us as well. First of all, this is a good reminder. We shouldn't get angry when people oppose Jesus. When people are surprised and they're worked up that the government is against Christianity and the church, which sometimes probably is more hyperbole than it is literal, but that's another conversation. Even if it is literal and it is happening, we should be surprised that they're surprised. Jesus said, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. They hated me first. He is a sign of opposition, and he continues to be. We should not be surprised when he's opposed. And when we get angry about opposition to Jesus, we need to ask, am I angry because they oppose Jesus? Or am I angry because they oppose me? Because Jesus came to give us peace. And so we should be a people of peace, not 
contrarians, not people of anger. People are going to oppose Jesus, brothers and sisters, but let us seek to make sure they don't oppose Jesus because they oppose Jesus' people. Jesus comes to divide, but he comes to give salvation to all those who receive him and will rise with him. Simeon's song is amazing. It is beautiful. It shows that the salvation of the Lord was worth the wait. But it also makes it very clear that we are still waiting. Because Jesus came, but our story doesn't end with all the nations receiving him. It doesn't end with him reigning over all. It ends with him returning to Galilee and returning to Nazareth, still as a child, growing and becoming strong. So there's more to Luke's story, and even at the end, there's more to our story. We're waiting for the peace to cover all the earth, for spears to become plowshares. We are waiting for the eternal comfort. And so we turn to Anna, and we see how Anna announces, and in that, we see what it looks like to wait. We see our last waiter in verses 34 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, so while Simeon's singing and praising, here comes Anna. And Anna is a prophetess. She's known as that. She's advanced in years. We all know what that means. It means she's wise. And it means she's old. And she's advanced through all of those years alone, by herself. She's not known other than Anna the prophetess. She's been a widow for a long time, but throughout this time, she has been devoted. The one word that defines Anna is devotion. We read that she did not depart from the temple, fasting and praying night and day. Essentially, when the temple doors were open, Anna was there. But it isn't because she thinks it's a club. It isn't because she wants a handout or a free meal or whatever they might get at the temple, I don't know. But she is devoted to worship and she's devoted to being at the temple because she's devoted to God. While she is there, she is fasting and praying day and night. Two acts that reveal a complete devotion, a complete dependence upon the Lord. Anna was a woman devoted to worship because she was a woman devoted to her God. And this is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. Sisters, know the power and impact that you have on the saints of the Lord to live faithfully and humbly in devotion to him. It is powerful. And she is the perfect picture in doing this of one who waits on the Lord. She is a directed waiting. She's waiting for her hope. 
It's directed toward God alone. She does not depart from the temple. She is persistently seeking his presence. It's directed to him, but it's also a resting kind of waiting. She's not looking for great things to do. This is more for us young people. She is simply living in devotion to her God. She was preparing her heart for the Lord by emptying it of anything else. Saying, Lord, I am yours. I want you because I'm waiting for your salvation. This is what waiting for the Lord looks like. Then, when she sees the baby, Jesus, what does she do? She gives thanks to God. How can she not? She sees the salvation of the Lord. Thanks to God. The first and natural response of seeing the salvation of the Lord is giving thanks to him. And it should never wear off. It should never become old news. It's not just, okay, Anna saw him and gave thanks to him. Okay, now we're off to other things now. It's praise to the Lord forever and always. And this is something that I love about our church here. Dan, Pastor Dan, a couple weeks ago, had mentioned before he preached, so you kind of stole my thunder, he loves singing with you all. I love singing with you all. Why? Because you love Jesus, and you love to give thanks to him through your singing. I love talking with everybody after church, because what do I normally hear? Tenderness and thankfulness for the Lord. Friends, this is a beautiful thing about our body. Let's press into it. Let's continue. Let's seek out new ways to give thanks to God in our parenting, over dinner, in meals, whatever it is. Let us never grow tired of giving thanks to God. So she gives thanks to God, but she also announces the news to others. Now she is announcing it to those who are waiting. That is literally the waiting ones which means it's a group, it's a remnant of people that were just like Anna and Simeon. These are other people that are looking to God for his salvation. So it's very similar to us, exhorting one another. Friends, remember, remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. He came, he's coming again. That's the first aspect to it. But it's safe to apply it to all of our conversations as well. Why? because he has come to give salvation to all peoples. So we can speak of him to everyone. Conversations over dinner, friendships, work relationships, family relationships, whatever it is, let's seek to speak of him as Anna told of him to all. The salvation of the Lord has come in the birth of Jesus. The Christmas Eve party has arrived. The lights have shined up the driveway. The grandparents are here. The party's happened. We're feasting and having a blast. This is great. And then now the party's over and we've cleaned the house and we're going to bed and we're gonna wait. We're gonna wait for the final Christmas to come, the second advent of Jesus. So while we wait, let us remember that it's he is worth the wait. Jesus is worth the wait. May we wait like Mary and Joseph, faithfully obeying the Lord according to his word. Like Simeon singing and blessing God for his work, and like Anna with lives of devotion, thanksgiving, and proclamation of our Savior. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that we can see here that Jesus is the perfect Savior and that he is your salvation. We thank you that you've shown us that our salvation is so much more than simply the things we get, but it's the person we get in him. And so, Father, as we wait, would you help our hearts to long to be with him, long to see him. And as we long for him, would we live in accordance to what he has commanded us and how he has commanded us? Would we seek to be his people here looking to be when we can be his people with him there? And so, Father, we pray that you would do all these things so your glory would shine forth to all peoples. And so our hearts would be like Simeon and Anna's, overflowing with joy and praise for our salvation. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, friends, let us stand and sing one more song as we declare how amazing our Savior is.